Hi guys, and welcome to What They Don't Tell You About with me, Grace McGovern. Each week on the podcast, we will uncover myths or ideas, or just quite frankly, what they don't tell you about a certain topic. So sit back and relax and enjoy the podcast. guys and welcome back to the podcast what they don't tell you about we are doing a live finale special with the lovely ariel free today um it is everything they don't tell you about being a radio on dj and we are doing it at soho works um in their lovely podcast space and introduction ariel free how are you i'm good thanks and we have people on here we I should know. probably mention that I know. just in case you hear like titterings and like weird kind of like oh we're laughing at ourselves um no there's people here oh love um, it which is always fun on a podcast and I hope no one's offended by swearing um so Ariel mm-hmm. you are a radio one DJ you do the early morning breakfast weekend um, early breakfast weekend early breakfast yeah. um you were also on scrambled CITV yeah are you are you still doing that no so I left so Scrambled works in term time from September to March. So we, the last series that I was part of finished in March and I made the decision in June to leave. Okay. Um, because I'd been covering it Radio 1 for a year and a half and I was hoping that maybe a contract was on the horizon. And then two weeks after I told Scrambled that I was leaving, I got off the job. Lovely. So it kind of all worked out quite nicely. Thank God, because I have bills to pay. And you also do, this isn't your first podcast, you also do the Love Island Morning After, mm-hmm. and you do BBC Sounds Worst Dates. Yes, so Worst Dates is my own podcast. Oh, it's your own podcast. Yeah. Um, so Love Island, um, I'm in this, so the second year of us doing that happens every summer. Um, I do that with the wonderful Kem, who, Kem Setton, he won in series three. Yep. Um, Are they still in, together? No, they split up like th- three or four months after, I think. I think... The only people from that series are still together are Camilla and Jamie, who are so cute together. Yeah, still. they are really cute, actually. Um, but there's been lots of babies and marriages and all that. So I could give you the all. I mean, vouch. If, if I ever did any sort of mastermind, I could probably do it on Love Island because it's kind of my job. Um, but when I finished Love Island, I realised there was a lot of... Um, first of all, our audience was really young. Uh, predominantly young girls which was unheard of in the podcast world and they wanted to listen every day and they loved listening to love and dating and my good friend Luke who does Scrambled with me had come up with this concept of kind of like first dates but when they go really bad and then we were like well actually you need a girl and boys perspective from that um and we did worst dates and it was great because it's a really inclusive podcast we've got non-binary trans uh, lesbian gay straight so there's all kind of worst date stories from various different people um, that you would probably recognize uh, public figures reality people musicians and whatnot and um, we tried to get as much as like a wide spectrum but it did really well because everyone loves dates and everyone loves when dates go wrong um, because it just gives you so much to talk about Uh, and also so, everyone's experienced that so yeah I mean for me I was a bit too open about my dating history so like any guy that ever wants to date me like they could literally go and listen to that podcast and hear about every and know who it was that I've ever had a date with ever um so it's kind of like took away an era of mystery that's a bit it was quite nice because if you don't if you're not open if you're doing a podcast about dating and you're not open about yeah. your own dating experience no one else is going to come on that podcast and be honest and did you say their names or did you oh god no no because it's worst days these are yeah. people who've like been horrendous on dates but they know so a you guy don't need like to... watched me fall down a set of stairs and smack on the pavement and turned around and went oh god I knew that was you like Perfect. didn't say I like, didn't think Nightingale will pick me up and sweep me off my feet um, so no if I outed them I'd probably be held liable for a lot of that true stuff. true <laughs> and you are also a ballerina so I don't know if oh, well probably do but when I researched you it said you're a ballerina and you what age did you start that so I started, I went to like part-time ballet classes when I was from like the age of eight. So actually that's quite late when you starting in ballet. Um, but my teacher at the time kind of pulled my mum to one side and was like, she's quite a good dancer, you should probably think about this. Mm. And so from there I went into a thing called Scottish Ballet Junior Associates, which is a bit like the Scottish version of Royal Ballet School. But that was like part-time still. And then I auditioned the Dance School Scotland, which is again like Scotland's version of Royal Ballet. Uh, but I didn't actually ever, I was never a ballerina, I trained as a ballerina. Yeah. I found it quite restrictive and not the reason I love to dance is because I love feeling the music and like, yeah. I felt there's a certain style of ballet but the technique that you get from ballet training 
is unbelievable and that sets that's like the foundation for any sort of dance style in my opinion yeah. so I came down to London that's why I came down to London to further my training um and then my first year I got a big job worked in that year that I deferred and then continued to work when I went back so apparently needs to get a degree so I made myself go back but no one ever in my to get life. a degree to well, do I was, dance I was doing a degree in dance okay. in London that's why I came down to uni here called London Studio Centre um but after my first year I got a job which was going to be a long project so I took a year out to do that um that project and then basically by the time I got back to unity I'd done yeah. everything that I wanted to do with dancing and also the landscape was changing I was saying the last time I was here at television center was when white city was still BBC and I was dancing on top of the pops so, so when, I, when they opened up the Soho house here I was like oh the last time I was here I was on stage and it was really like I got really kind Emotion. of emotional um but I just remember like being on top of the pots and like dancing for this artist and we got there and the guy, the costume designer was like, hey, here's some hot pants and a scarf. This is what you're going to wear to dance on this guy and gyrate on him. And I was like, it's not why I became a yeah. dancer. Um, but I got to do some amazing things. I was part of Zoo Nation, which is an incredible like dance company. Um, I got to do Top of the Pops, CDUK, all these people to dance for loads of amazing artists that I really respected. And um, But I always loved music and I think that's probably where the dancing came from. And then from dancing went into choreographing and from there I met lots of bands and I was like hey can you just sit in front of this camera and I'm going like, to yeah. interview you and is that how you got into it yeah I was actually backstage at Reading Festival in like 2007 and I told someone dancing uh, yeah I was there well I'd choreographed a band's video and so they'd sorted as like tickets and I was chatting to their manager and I said um you know I really want to be a presenter I've always wanted to be a radio presenter but I had no radio experience whatsoever I'd always wanted to be like a Sarah Cox like Sarah yeah. Cox for me was just the most hilarious thing I'd ever heard on radio and Joe Wiley was just the coolest thing on radio I'd ever heard and she, her music passion was something that I was just so enthralled by I was just and seeing low like for me was like the king like I never had anyone do radio like that in my life yeah and and you know the radio has always been with me in my life from when I did my GCSEs up to my like you know when my dance training then my revision and then moving to London not really knowing anyone so yep. putting on the radio at seven o'clock every night when I finished my dance training that day I'd have Zane Lowe and he would keep me company for two hours which sounds really sad and lonely but I was so into like the music scene then yeah. it was a real indie boom year so it was when people like I think Monkeys were coming out and like Block Party and all these really exciting bands and like yeah so um tangent which will happen a lot in this podcast um is I that, interviewed a band backstage at, um, for a Reading Festival. They were like, we need to interview editors. And I was like, can I get the footage? And then started looking at radio production courses, which are really hard to find if you don't go to uni. Um, you kind of, I, didn't, I couldn't afford to pay for a whole university course to yeah. learn radio production. So looked at things like the Roundhouse, which has like an under 25 scheme, which you pay two pounds for and you go and learn the class and you learn techniques. But ironically, the radio production course that I signed up for, the guy who ran it, he was someone who'd set up one extra because they have guest teachers each time. Yeah. Um, was like, hey, look, everyone knows how to run a desk, so I'm going to teach you how to present on radio. And I was like, no, don't do that because I don't know how to do that. And I know how to talk yeah. and present. And it turns out I didn't know how to actually present on radio at that point. But um, So then I had to find another way of learning how to run a desk because I knew... Like going into a studio, you have to be able, you have to be on top of it. You have to be able to run the whole thing yourself. Did, that, did you find that difficult? And oh, how that long? Was horrendous. How long did that take you to learn? Because when I see like a desk of like all the, I, mean, I don't even know what they're called, the the little mixy things. Mixers, yeah. mixers, yeah, that's You've it. You've got your mixing. Desk. Um, that freaks me out. Like I have absolutely no clue. How long did that take you? Um, ah. Oh. I mean, I'm probably still learning now. Yeah. Uh, there's things in the in this the radio one studios that. I mean, today I learned that I can get a snapshot, which is basically where it's really hard to like visualize when you've got like speaking fit in front of me. If I'm standing in front of a radio desk on my right hand side, I will have the three channels that I can play tracks from. Yeah. But I mean, it's a part of a desk of like a hundred channels, well, not hundred channels, but like 10 um, channels. So you'll have your three ones that you can do your tracks to, your two newsrooms, the other studios that you need to pitch through to because whenever you change over from a show, you have to take the network from their studio into your studio. Wow. Um, and then on my left-hand side, I have my mic and then you usually have everyone else's mic next to you and then you have the carts and your cart wall is when you hear like, Radio One or like, and that you bang that. You can That's a touch screen that you can do yourself or you can load it and you can bang it in with a button. So it's a lot to learn. Wow. But um, because I'm so short, my arms don't stretch 
to is that the cartwheels. Yeah, so you can do this thing where you can set up your desk and it's called a snapshot. And so if anyone goes, I'm working with Ariel Free today, they go to it and they put in the snapshot and it instantly sets up the desk how I like it. Oh, really? So yeah. you put in your like presets kind of? Yeah. Okay. And you also have mic groups. So I have quite a natural husky voice, but it's loud. And um, <laughs> there's one person in Radio 1 who has to have their microphone turned down and that's Nick Grimshaw and he will happily tell you that he is so loud that even like there's a mic group that is set for people with loud voices that his really and not because that. he's becoming so close but. no he just like really projects and he talks he's really happy all the time like that yeah. you mean so it's like you have to turn that down because someone in the you have to be on a it's all about being on a similar level of the tracks yeah. are being played at so you've got like compressors and so I'm Mike Solo Group 3 I have no idea what that means but, but it I'm means in it. that it makes my husky high pitched loud voice sound nicer to you all well lovely <laughs> so I'm going to go into my first myth um, uh-huh. and it kind of ties into what we said um, I just think that DJs maybe have the natural ability to kind of hear for good music, um, know how to mix essentially. And did that take you a process? Did you find a way, find different genres of music you like to where you are now? Um, was There's it- different radio techers, as I call it. So you've got speech radio where you just have to have the ability of making something sound interesting and different subjects and talk. You can, on some speech radio stations, you can do a show for five hours. Like... Who has... Yeah. What? How much do you prep for that? I can talk. I mean, I'm the queen of verbal diarrhea, but I could not talk for five hours about various different subjects. But when you have callers and people, things like that, then you have... You have your music DJs and specialists. So the way kind of Radio 1 set up is that your evening is often specialist DJs. So that's people who have a real specialist knowledge, whether it's new music or it's a certain genre of music. Um, and then you have your daytime presenters, but they vary from comedy. So Scott and Chris will talk a lot more maybe than Clara will because Scott and Chris are like a duo and they they set up a joke and they set up a kind of like, they'll yep. set up a thing through an anecdote. So their links will often be longer. Um, and different radio stations have different rules. So... Capital, for example, has a thing called an economy of words, so you don't speak for any more than a minute. I think oh, it's actually really? 40 seconds now. And um, when I did Radio X, most of my links were 20 seconds. So, and then they play a song in between that? Yeah, so you have to almost like cut your words to 20 seconds. So w- what I would say maybe in a minute, they can whittle it down to 20 seconds or 40 seconds. That's a lot of pre-planning though. It's, it's just a different technique. Like... I couldn't do it because my... So what's my video technique? My radio show is kind of very um, self-deprecating and comedy and it's reactive. So even though I'll go into... I'll never go into a show without being planned. So I'll go in on a Thursday morning and I spend about two hours with my producer planning what my topic's going to be that weekend. Okay. Um, And I'm quite lucky that my show is taking you from a specialist playlist into a daytime. So my first hour, I have a lot of free plays. So we do have a playlist at Radio 1 in daytime. And so I get to choose a, a fair bit of music. Okay. Some people in daytime don't really get that choice. Yeah. Um, because you have a music team who's entire like that's what they specialize yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, um, but I'm quite reactive. So if someone's texting me in and they're like, I've just splashed the cash because I'm going to like propose to my girlfriend. I'm like, get that person on the phone. I need to speak to them. Yep. Are they shitting themselves? I want to get the funny out of the story. Um, but then also my show is really early. So you've often so most bits I've got two very different audiences in my show I've got people who've been up all night and haven't been to bed yet who are like play something wavy yeah. and you're like cool guys I know you've just been to Warehouse Project but like there's also your man who's just been driving 12 hours through the yeah. night having to get from Leon up to Aberdeen so um, and then you have your global audience so people in Australia listen to me at tea time so you have to be able to cater for all those audiences. So if I was in an ideal world, I'd love to do like a pure dance show, a house show. Yeah. And like have a, I'd be really special. So that's where my, my passion lies or a new music show. Um, but it turns out I'm kind of all right at making people laugh and smile and be, yeah. have, I don't know, sound like I'm having a chat. The whole thing is just making it sound like you are having a chat with your mate down the pub. So do you do, do you have to do a lot of prep um Mm. in terms of obviously so it's like two or three hour shows yeah so how much prep goes into i know you said you meet with your producer before but do you have to plan methodically for every day you often ping things back and forth my because i mean it's quite anecdotal i have a thing on my phone so i was walking down the street today and 
I saw something really funny, so I quickly get my phone out and yeah. write it down because I think that's quite funny to talk about. I heard someone on the tube talking about how her friend can't be vegetarian because she eats steak grilled chips, uh, like crisps. Yeah. And she's like, you can't be pure veggie if you're eating like steak flavored crisps. And I was like, well, yes, you fucking can because I'm veggie and I definitely you still love like the flavor of steak crisps. Real McCoys, if you're listening. Um, so yeah, that just made me giggle. So that's yeah. something that I know if I put to an audience, it would it would probably be quite reactive because people are like, what? It's about getting that conversation with people as yeah. well. But some shows are not about interaction. Some shows are just about putting you at ease and making you like, Clara's show was really great for just giving you that real insight to all these amazing like new tracks that have dropped, but in the most conversational way. That's why that live lunch slot has always been so respected and loved yeah. because it introduces you to amazing artists. You get the live element of it. You get that insight into the artist that you adore and then you also get that conversation and often at that time that's when people are really knuckling down at work 10 to 1 that's like you've had your breakfast you've got up and you've like you yeah. know, you've got ready with whoever's doing the breakfast show you've done your commute maybe with them and then you get into work and if you put the radio on you can't be too invasive to someone there because they're trying to concentrate yeah one of your first myths you said um kind of ties in was the myth that people think you get to choose all the tracks yeah you do if you're a special show. Okay. You, like, and they'll spend a lot of time in that. So you, that's why like, um, I know like Annie Max Future Central, she has a producer, an assistant producer, and they're like, they are constantly in meetings with radio pluggers, bands, managers, whatnot, seeing like what, because they have to be about being the first people to play that music before okay. anyone else and champion that music. And then, and then knowing if it's good and, and you know um, and Annie has a lot of control in that with her team so and, and your relationship with your producer is really key as well yeah. you can't have a producer not have your back and um, I've been really lucky at Radio 1 that I've not touched with I've not worked with anyone who's dickhead yeah Melissa <laughs> yeah and I think that's quite testament to I mean this sounds like I'm championing Radio 1 but I mean Radio 1 was always driven but, no, but there's a it. reason why it's the biggest station in the nation like why it is so successful and that is because they're hugely supportive there are people whose roles there they are experts in their field and you know my producer's role in the studio is to make sure that I feel happy and comfortable. so on Sunday I had a situation where I said a word that I didn't realise is Ofcom absolutely no no you cannot say it really yeah and I was just telling this anecdote and I said something and he just looked at me and I knew instantly that I had to go, oh, sorry if you're offended by that. Like, no, blah, blah, blah. And then I didn't. But loads of people, no one complained. Yeah. But loads of people were like, why have you just apologised for that? But it's just because we are the BBC. There's rules. Yeah. And, you know, that might be because there's a baby in a car, or a toddler in the car who's heard me say that word and they suddenly go, hey, mom, what's that? Yeah. So you've got to be conscious of things like that, which is why, you know, the music has to all be cleared. Um, so you have a team my producer will go through a track so if I bring a lot of new music to my show he needs to go through it and make sure I had a bed once that had, was um, Cardi B and like right so you know what everyone knows what a bed is Does everyone know what a bed no is? I don't know what no. a bed is so bed is the, the music that you will hear in the background when okay. you're talking okay. any DJs talking so, so it's to create that yeah Okay. It's to create a bit more atmosphere and like, because it can feel a bit dead. It, goes, okay. it really falls flat. And I was really lucky because one of my first big radio jobs was at Ministry of Sound Radio and the real thing was like, they called it riding the bed because everything was about the beats. And so you like, when, you, when you're like DJing or like when you're t- chatting, you'd be like, hey, that's Galantis and da da and then you ping the music back up yeah. so then everyone can hear that beat again. Okay. And they write down like, shout out to so-and-so and da 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 and then you write it up again. So they talk about really riding it. So you would hear a DJ almost like talking time yeah. to the music and like bring it in back for the drop and whatnot. Radio One have a real where they like you to speak up to the vocals. So you'll have an intro and a track and be like, coming up, da 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 and then in the minute you finish... Ed Sheeran starts and da, 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 and then you're like that's why it sounds so okay. good because there's never any it's all, it's all about flow yeah I was also saying to you earlier when things like that happen and you say a word that you're not meant to say um, what happens is there um, like a 10 second delay or there's no delay everything is live we sometimes pre-record phone calls because my show again is early so we had an 18 strong stag do like just phone because we open the lines on the Saturday morning it's called the free hour because my second is free one, one just came up with that content and um, we wanted it to really be like a safe space we're like right this is five o'clock on a Saturday morning why the hell are you up why are you listening to us what state are you in yeah. phone us text us whatnot and we open the lines and we had this like 18 strong stag do call up and they're like re- they're from Aberdeen so they're really Scottish and they're like hey, can we speak to Ariel free please so that phone call because it's through to my producer first I can pick it up if I want to but I'm yeah. because I'm on it and do you, can you see can you see who calls you oh yeah so there's a channel that's called phone we have a thing called phone bots so phone bots one and two okay. and I'll see the level so I can see if, if 
my producer will speak to him first because there's a lot of things you have to say to them. Yeah. Don't swear on air. Don't talk about politics. 18 man stag. Yeah. And they were like, we want to speak to Ariel. We want to speak to Ariel. And they were like really excited. And he was like, okay, why do you speak to Ariel? And, I, and he was like, we can put them on air, but there's a big risk that they're going to swear. Yeah. Because they had said, we're having tinnies for breakfast and it was 5.45 it was 5.45 in the morning. Yeah. And I was like, legends. Um, but you can't also, you can't condone like irresponsible drinking. Yeah. So you have to say irresponsible drinking, guys. There's lots of things. Oh, do you have to say that when they come on? If, if you can if see If someone is on piss, we wouldn't use it, we wouldn't put someone on air who's pissed. Yeah. But, if, they, if someone says, we've just had two news for bits, but it's not really responsible drinking. Be like, mm, you know, softly, softly, yeah. guys, or it's a marathon, not a sprint. Do you, you just make yeah. a comment like that. Just because, you know, you are very influential in what you're saying to people. Yeah. And then um, they came on and... And actually, they came on and they totally balled it. So, like, they came on. And I was like, let's just put them on air. Like, this is the free hour. This is what we call yeah. it. So let's just see how to do it. And they came to me and I was like, how you doing? What's your name? Oh, great. We love your show. We're on our way to Amsterdam. We've all just woken up in a travel lodge together. We're having tennis for breakfast. And I was like, great. I was like, who do you want to give a shout out to? I was like, here's your stag. What's the name of the stag? And then they just went silent. And I was like, Johnny, are you there? Hello. And he's like, uh, uh. And he just completely froze. And I don't know if it's because he maybe heard his mate playing the radio yeah. in the background and whatnot. And, and I was like, Okay. What is the name of the guy whose stag it is? Why is there 18 of you going to answer? And he's like, uh, 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 it's just guy called uh, uh, and then he just froze and I was like so then I changed the conversation to make him feel a bit more yeah. relaxed but apparently it's like the third most common phobia in the world public speaking so I don't I'm never surprised by someone being nervous on the radio do you get a lot of callers like that especially because it's early in the morning you'll get a lot of people who be phone like, so we do a thing I tell this thing called open where she opens her and someone has to come to the show and go open because it's like the first point of conversation in the day so she starts at 4am so you've usually had like playlisted shows special yeah. shows podcasts which are usually generally pre-recorded. So it's nice to have that first part of the conversation. So first point of interaction. And we'll often form them like someone like, hey, do you want to come and open the show? And then they'll text me and be like, yeah, I want to open the show. And then they like get them on. You're like, right, Sean, you ready? And then he goes, oh, no, and he just hangs they up. they get really nervous. Yeah, and they just hang up. Because like people, they suddenly get, there's millions of people listening. Yeah. The worst is when we, I did a Radio 1 at work tour. So we went around all these amazing workplaces that had Radio 1 on. It was one of my first main big stints for Radio 1. And um. It was great because you got to see where people had the radio on and like why it keeps going. There's a glass blower. We had a, de- a person who had a dental factory, a dent, um, made dentures. So we went to his factory and it was amazing. An yeah, and um, there was a jellyfish farm. So this kid just in like, the UK farms jellyfish. He's, he's this guy is an entrepreneur. Like if you ever want jellyfish, I can hook you up. He's 21. <laughs> he's like caught into the fact that people like jellyfish are really beautiful to look at and they're really relaxing. So he's made these fish tanks that have UV lights in them so you can see the jellyfish just like floating. Like an aquarium. And it's super relaxing and he's got this farm that he's just like built in his parents' garage. He you just relaxed? like breeds jellyfish. And so we went to see him and he, he loves really one because it's on all day when he's in feeding the jellyfish. Um, yeah, and it was really amazing. But he was so confident off here and the minute you put him we on. put Mike and we like we went we pitched into Scott and Christian were like and I'm at a jellyfish farm in Sheffield yeah. or whatever and he got really quite nervous and so it's my job to kind of calm them down and yeah. like to change like because what is going through their head oh my god millions of people are listening yeah so how do I get them to start thinking of that how you feed them conversation change the point yeah, change the conversation have a laugh like have a giggle make yeah. a joke I'm really good at putting people at ease because I. You have a very relaxing um, tone about you. I don't know if it's relaxing. I, I don't understand so. why anyone would wake up and want to listen to my voice. I think it's the worst voice in the entire world. Like, seriously, like, listen back and I'm like, ugh, it's such an assault in the ears. But, like, it is. Not at all. Um, Even when I first met you now, you just sat down, fully chatted. Like, you have a calming way when you speak to people. I do find it really funny that my teachers at primary school were always like, oh, she's so, she speaks so much and you're like and it's like now. Ah, I made a career out of it bitches um so no, I mean <laughs> you have to there is a technique to it but I probably talk too much for the radio no because people get ear fatigue so this is another thing really yep so what's what would you, this is good ear fatigue podcast. okay so yeah fill me in people get ear fatigue there's a scientific um like invest like facts that um after I think it's seven minutes of conversation, you should always have music or a sting, as we call it, Sorry, guys. Uh, to break up the conversation because people switch off. Okay. It's an, it's an actual like scientifically proven fact. There's like these massive radio conferences that happen around the world. So when, I learned that in the Love Island podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, because we, 
the way the Love Island podcast is out was we'll have me and Cam do the intro and talk yep. about what's coming up. We do these headlines. Then you'll have like a musical sting, which is literally a thing that just goes bing, bing, bing. And that is reset your ears. Really? And then it means you're ready. And then it also knows that you're starting something else. You're starting a different conversation. Okay. And then we'll have a guest on. So probably one of the Islanders or a celebrity guest. And then you'll have another musical sting. And then we'll have a little feature that's a bit of a game. And then we'll have a second part of the interviews. And they took that from... Well, the guys who did the first series of the podcast, they had their own production. They're real radio guys. They Various people worked at um, Global, at Radio 1, at loads of different places, BBC and whatnot. So they had that intel. But then also the guy who studios were using is really big within the radio kind of like facts world. Yeah. Um, and he goes around the world to talk about where people listen, how people listen, how long yeah. they're listening for, how that cha- how that's changed since radio began. Different because people listen digitally now. A lot of people listen through their phones. Yeah. So, so he's he's just this fountain of knowledge, and he was like, yeah, people get ear fatigue after seven minutes. So anyone who has a podcast, my best advice: put just a little bit of a bing. Okay, I'm going to take that advice on board. I'll listen back. I won't listen back. I hate my voice. Okay, so now I going on to on to my next myth. Um, so radio DJs and. Um, from being someone who's never really experienced like a DJing industry myself mm-hmm. and even then you just um, reminded me when I was telling you about it before is that they are historically male so like even googling and we and we also later found out there is a differentiation between well I knew it but not very well radio DJs and like EDM and house and club DJs or whatever yeah but they're historically male and I just wanted to ask how your experiences were being a female did you ever feel any hindrances from it mm. or well, so I'm in terms of DJing, let's say traditions, I'm I'm still new to the DJing world. I've yeah. only been DJing for eight years. People most people have been who are successful DJs or clubbing DJs, festival DJs have been DJing since they were kids. Again, like the ballet training. Yeah. Um but then actually other people I know, there's this girl I know who only she worked with me at Virgin and she was like, I really want to DJ and I was like, just do it. And she did. And now she's absolutely smashing it. She's just played print works and a massive venue in London. Um so it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, there's a certain part, but there's a certain kind of, like, attitude that you you should have been DJing for a certain amount of years. But have I ever been... A, has, so there's a presumption now because you're a female DJ that you're going to get added to all the bills because quotas and all the stuff. Yeah. There's a guy, a lovely guy that I work with, and he'd invited me to, like, DJ in one of his bills, and I had so much respect for him, and then he just had a passing on me. He's like, oh, it's so nice to be a female DJ now because you guys are just getting all the gigs. And I was oh. like, mm, not quite true. Uh, <laughs> okay. But um, I mean, the electronic music world is now, there's loads of females entering it and it's a really exciting time. Yeah. Annie Max just announced her lost and found bill from Malta, which is a festival she does every year. And actually in the main lineup poster, there was almost, I think there was more women than there was men, which was just like, wow. Primavera brought in a rule this year that they were going to have a 50-50 lineup. Uh, Red Bull did this thing called Normal, Not Novelty. Um, and it's not just about male and females, it's about being inclusive of everyone. Honey Dijon, you know, is trans and she's one of the biggest DJs in the yeah. world. And she is amazing. Like, and she deserves all this success. She's been DJing for about 30 years. Wow. Um, I don't, there's only one situation I've had which I really was quite shocked at, which I was on a, the only female on a um, bill of men with a really huge alcohol brand. And um, the creative director came up to me and said that I wasn't fitting the aesthetic of the show. So Frog marched me into the dancer's dressing room and tried to force me to put on a white bikini to, uh, to go on no. stage. And I was a bit like, I'm, I'm not body confident enough to stand on stage yeah. in a fucking white bikini anyway. Um, but also he wasn't asking any of the male DJs to do it. Yeah. So I was like, no, these guys, you're not asking any of the male DJs to get like, yeah. in like swimsuits or like speedos or like, you know, like whatever, budgie smugglers, whatever. Do you mean? I'm like, why are you asking me? And he's just like, they have their own agenda. You need to fit the aesthetic of the show. And it was purely because I was the only female. But they had all these dancers who were in this kind of like balearic and, and yeah, and it, it it was awful because my agent was meant to be with me that day and she just by chance had happened to be ill yeah. and he had come into my changing room whilst I was pretty much there on my own and then like literally manhandled me and pushed me into this did you, and, and did I didn't know to what it? to do. No, well, I, I remember like shaking and taking a swimsuit. It was just like this, like it was basically like a thong that had like diamantes on the back of it and I was like, I don't know what to do and I called my agent in the toilet yeah. and was like, what do I do? Because if I didn't do the job, I didn't get paid. It's yeah. also a massive brand, and it was also with a huge promoter that does 
festivals across the summer. Yeah. So what do I do? Do I go on Twitter and do I slag them off and do I call them out? Do I phone my agent and tell them, like, I know I was on the edge of tears and I was like, I don't, and I've never had anything like that before. And I'm quite a strong kind of, I would tell people to fuck off and not, and I'm, yeah. I, but in that situation, I didn't know what to do. I was on my own. And, and luckily, by pure chance, someone who booked me on that gig heard what happened had gone into the promoter's office and was like this is happening yeah. and this is not cool and there was a girl in the office who kind of like came running down and was just like absolutely no way this is not happening and like kind of marched the guy away and then was hugely positive because at that point I was I tweeted really and you I'm said on it. site and I've just been asked to do this did he see what that fuck um no but they shit themselves now like, please can you take it down wow and I did take it down because I had respect for them as promoters and the brand it was one man um, but then actually, out of every other thing, a gig, I've, I've never had experience of that. And every, it's a real community, the dance world. So like I did Parklife for the first time this year. I was so nervous because it's such a huge dance lineup and um, so many amazing, incredible, like respected DJs are there. And, um, you know, I had, and I had huge support from big people like Danny, who's on Danny Howard's on station. Yeah. The boys from Camel Fat with like really supportive. So like every, it's a real community. Like, it's a real tribe and it's not clicky at all. Yeah. It really welcomes me with open arms and, I'm not any, I only really started properly hitting the kind of festival circuit this year as like a house and disco DJ before I was just pretty much doing like events and fashion parties and lunches and openings and whatnot and it was when I went to Ministry of Sound I was like I can't be the drive time host of Ministry of Sound Radio which is you know dance and not properly learn how, not know how to properly DJ. Yeah. And um and it was at that point that I really yeah went away and probably learned. When you did these festivals, did you DJ or were you interviewing? DJ. As well? I, I haven't done any interviewing. Well, we did our radio show live from Reading Festival this year. Me and Jordan North, which is lovely. Uh, but I was already booked at Reading for DJ gigs, so I DJ until ten o'clock the Friday night at Reading and um this kind of waterfall stage which was amazing. But I was up against the nineteen seventy five, so it was pretty much empty. <laughs> um, and that's another thing you've got to get used to. Like you can be in a festival bill and have no competition at all and have the emptiest set and you can be in a festival bill and be up against someone like the 1975 yeah. at Ca- <laughs> Creamfields <laughs> I, they said we really want you to close the stage on Sunday night this utility but you're going to be up against Swedish House Mafia who had taken an eight year um, gap since they'd like ever done a live so it was a UK festival exclusive and the first time they played a festival in eight years and it's Swedish House Mafia uh, Camel Fat who are Scousers and Creamfields is in Liverpool it's just outside of Liverpool yeah. and so it's like a homecoming in for them Eric Prids who's one of the biggest DJs in the world Tiesto which is one of the biggest DJs in the world and then there was me and they were like so we're probably just going to say it's going to be empty but would you like to close the stage and I was like of course I want to close the stage you can't turn down I've never headlined like a, da- a stage I danced it. and what was amazing is that I was on the path to Swedish House Mafia and loads of people couldn't hear them so loads of people just turned around and came to my set and we had a proper oh, nice. proper rave and dance yeah it was like last Saturday and so you know I was preempting that that was going to be the worst set of my summer Did and you- it actually ended up being one of my best do you I mean you must have had that quite a few times when you first had um, an, no audience like that yeah. was it even Reading this year, so I played at two till four in the Carlsberg tent, which is this weird wooden deck thing, and people are just there. To, it's two o'clock on a Sunday. Yeah. Everyone has done their raving. They like we went round the campsite that morning, and I mean, there's some sights. It was great. It was great for radio because we just were slagging everyone off. But like, I was so aware that like I didn't know what the crowd was going to be yeah. like. But then I forgot. It was Foo Fighters that night, so it was an older crowd, and they wanted disco. So I kind of put on like a disco track, and this couple came out and they were like, yeah yeah this we like it. it and so I was like okay and then you just yeah and so I did this like, and it ended up being fun by the end but like the first hour I was like oh my god there's like one person in the bar like bopping their head do you find it hard when it's like that um no because you just like I I don't know like the reason I got really really into DJing is because you just it's a vibe I mean I know yeah. it's like you, you won't ever see me standing still on my DJ sets ever I love that so like if there's people not dancing I'm like oh great I'm just gonna fucking put on what I want and like have a to dance, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then by the end of it, people see that and see that you're. I mean, you play for the audience, but like, you can, if you've not got an audience there, what do you play? You play something that survives. So like Sunday afternoon, the sun was shining. It's 28 degrees. Foo Fighters are playing that night. You kind of just got to think on your toes. Yeah. I couldn't play like an obscure techno track that was never going to go down well on a Sunday afternoon. Um, 
but and it's just by chance when I played that disco track I was like oh this is quite nice they quite like that yeah. and then I played a bit more of a dance anthems which is like real quite kind of commercial house and then I went on to Creamfields and did like probably the darkest most like deep house set I've ever done in my life and it, it was like really tribal house and whatnot so it was like really nice to have that and then I just remember waking up the same and be like yeah yesterday was pretty badass so do you have to also research when it comes to like festivals and things um, what kind of people like what different types of music and- well Reading is a rock Festival. festival and I went to Reading for eight years in a row I loved Reading it's where are you a festival buff oh my god yeah what's your favorite Reading Glastonbury because I was conceived there were you <laughs> I yeah and I can prove it because my brother was born on April 19th and um my mum and dad had a weekend off from baby duties uh, in the June and Billy Idol was rocking the main stage and it was pissing with rain and so no one left the tent. And my mum went to the doctor's about six months and she's like, I'm having all these postnatal things. I'm still really sweaty. My boobs are massive and da-da-da. And they like couldn't get down to it and they did a scan and they're like, yeah, you're six months pregnant. And she's like, oh. And that happened in Glastonbury. That weekend in Glastonbury, obviously. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I quite like it because I'm like, that makes me so fucking badass. It makes me really rock and roll. But no, Glastonbury is magical. That Have was my first times? ever festival. Yeah, I went in 2005. I was dancing for Fatboy Slim. He was headlining the other stage. He, it was the most insane. I'd never danced in front of a crowd like that. And I remember being like, oh, I'm never going to forget this. And it was before digital cameras. So I've got all the, the pictures still on film. Oh, wow. Um, I remember trying to kick an acid man, like space hopper ball into the audience and like missing it and just being like, oh my God, there's 50,000 people just seen me like miss kicking a ball, but nobody cared, but it was great. It was amazing. But then I didn't go back until 2013 because I was like, I can't, I'm never going to do glass with this again. Yeah. We had like a tent pit up for us. I mean, it was the year that it was a washout. We woke up with a river running through a tent, but didn't, you know, it was still the most amazing yeah. weekend. Um, but then Rolling Stones got announced for 2013. And I was like, I have to see Rolling Stones because I love them. And then we went as a big group and I was like, why have I not come back here? Like, yeah. this is the most magical place in the entire world. And also the Glassmere diet is amazing because you work for, so I, on the Sunday at Glassmere in 2017, so now we work Glassmere, so I do Westall stage, yeah. so I compare the stage for them, which is basically amazing because you have a stage of unbelievable artists and I get my free ticket from that. So yeah. I'm, I'm really fortunate for that to happen because we are all trying to get tickets for the 50th anniversary. Is that this year? Next year, yeah, June. And I was like, did my usual annual email. Hi, do you want me back to do the whistle stage? And I'm like, yeah, and I was like, yes. Yes. I've got my ticket. Um, but yeah, so I hope that all my friends, but it's just, isn't it like an eight mile radius or something? Like the entire site. And like, I finished at 11.30 on a Saturday night, went out raving that night, like went to bed at whatever time, got up at two o'clock on the Sunday, went out and saw Haim on the other stage and then went out raving until like two o'clock again and then got up and like we'd booked a coach to go. So I was like, Monday at Glastonbury is the saddest thing in the entire world. Really? Yeah, it's just like, there's just like an, an air of just like, oh, it's all over. Low energy. And I can't bear it because I get really upset because I get like, I just, if, when I've had like the best time of my life, like festivals, I love it because you just have the best you kind of realise and then you're just on the Monday you're like, come here. Um, so I always like escape the like the the glass and blues on the Monday and get coached. Although I'm not going to do that this year, I'm going to stay until the Monday. I think. But um, I looked at my phone and you know they get the pedometer on your phone. Mm-hmm. And it was like you've done forty seven thousand steps. I'd walked twenty six miles in twenty four hours. Well, at least you come back feeling good and well, some sense. Like, you're like that's why I've got a flat stomach. Love it. <laughs> I would really like to go to Glastonbury, but I just you think, mean? no, I just, I, my I mean, friend went for the first time this year. So in 2013, we all got tickets. We, we got it through the sale and um, we thought we got all of those tickets and it turned out we'd had, we'd missed one of our friend's numbers off. We'd already called her and been like, hey, you're coming to Glastonbury. Oh, and no. then we were like, oh, someone's got a phone ever can tell her she's not coming to Glastonbury. And wait, and did she get the ticket? No, she didn't get a ticket. That was, just, that was from oh. the resale. So then we had to be like, we're all going to Glastonbury, but you're not. It's not about that. And then it ended up being a really amazing year because it was like 23 degrees and the Rolling Stones, who'd never played yeah. ever. Um, so when I started, when Westworlds approached me to start doing a stage for them in 2015, I asked, I said, they'd give me a plus one. And I was like, she has to come with me and she yep. couldn't do it. And then she couldn't do it in 2016. Then they had the break in 2000, uh, also 2017. Couldn't have, uh, there was a break in 2018. And this year was the first year that she finally came. Aww. And being with someone who experiences the Glastonbury for the first, like it made my whole Glastonbury experience this year like 10 times better. Because it just blows people's minds. Yeah. I just feel like I'd be that one person. It would rain like three months worth of rain. Every time I've gone to a festival, Yeah, but that's, that's, the, that's what you... Be, the Glastonbury is like one of the only festivals where it is kind of cute in the rain. Yeah. It makes for it. I, I'd like to think I I'd mean, really love it. 
But honestly, I mean, my friends will know I'm not a great camper. Um, so I would re- I like the sound of it, but um, no, I should do escape. it. I should do it. But like, also, everyone just like rallies together. Yeah, no, I know. You're right. I really should just brave it and do it. And I think it's going to be after. a washout for the 50th anniversary just because it was such a sunny, wonderful year this year. There's I know. Absolutely no chance in hell we've got any chance of happening. I did have FOMO that Next year. Next year is going to be like proper monsoon rain. But I'll be fine. So another thing I wanted to tap into mm-hmm. briefly was the amount of sleep you get. Um, I'm so fascinated by <laughs> sleep. And I know, especially for you, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, I also want to know what like a social life looks like. If you're doing Friday, Saturday, Sunday at like early breakfast times, what happens to like socializing? Um, it probably should deplete. Maybe I haven't depleted as much. No. Um, so when I first got the job, I had a few DJ gigs in the books that I couldn't turn down. So I, like I couldn't cancel, sorry. So my second weekend, I think it was. So I get up at quarter past two on a Friday morning, quarter past three on a Saturday and Sunday morning. Um, Cause I like to get in an hour before to prep the show, just to make sure everything's fine. And I had a DJ gig until the midnight on the Saturday on my second week of doing the show. So I just went straight to the BBC and I slept in the BBC. Oh. Because I was like, if I go home, that was one hour because it was in West London. If I go home, I live in East London. If I go home, it's an hour in the cab. Do they have a bed Again, there or hour. something? Well, in the news area, yeah, they have beds and they have nursing rooms and things like that. Oh, wow. um, I just found a couch in a main room. So I was bossing. Can you just and sleep anywhere? I'm not really sure you're allowed. I don't think it's actually the done thing, but I was like, I just didn't have a choice. Yeah. And, um, you know, what are they going to say? What's someone going to say? They're gonna, yeah. It's better for them that I get to three hours sleep than it is one hour sleep. I have to get sleep. I tried, there was a week that I was doing Love Island podcast. So we, the way we do the podcast is we watch the show with everyone at the same time at nine o'clock because they won't yeah. give us anything because they don't want anything to bleed. So we watch it with everyone else and then we record straight after because it's meant to be like that kind of WhatsApp conversation that you would have with your mates yeah. from like, you know, watching the show. And uh, so we would record that from 10, maybe 10.30 until like 11.30. And I was covering early morning breakfast the first week of me doing this year's podcast. So I was like, well, I should probably just do a night shift yeah. because I get up at quarter past two. So why don't I just go to bed at 7 a.m., sleep to whenever and get up and do night. So I did that. I went to see Bon Iver, uh, and he was playing at a, a festival called Old Points East, which is amazing. Oh, I've uh, been to that one. Yeah, really I really enjoyed festival. that one. They're, that's such a good festival because they really know their neighbourhood and their crowd. Yeah. They know he lives in that area so they know he's going to buy tickets. So yeah. like the Strokes sold out straight away because they know that we were all kids who like grew up the Strokes and we've all grown up and we still adore them. Um, so I stayed out. It's really funny because like the most rock and roll I've ever been is at a Bon Iver gig and I did straight through Korea after Bon Iver which doesn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went on air and I couldn't speak. Really? I literally, it was like my brain glitched. It was like trying to string a sentence together was just like, you have to think on your feet and you have to be really witty. And and, and I just remember going, this is the worst idea I've ever had. Yeah. And and so the the least amount of sleep I've had, my average sleep is, so Thursday nights I don't sleep because I'm thinking about the show and the weekend and whatnot. So I'll go to bed at six or seven and then I wake up at like eight and my body's like, hey, you just had a disco nap. And now it's like awake from eight o'clock until two o'clock in the morning. And you do that every week? No. So like now what I've done is I've realized I I almost have to wear myself out. So on a Thursday, if I get off at a DJ gig on a Thursday now, I'll be like, yeah, I can do it until 10 o'clock. And then I'll go home, I'll have my two hours, I'll do the show, and then I'll sleep for three or four hours after the show on a Friday. So I blocked up my diary on a Friday morning. Because I was was driving myself crazy trying to get to sleep and not getting sleep or getting to sleep at seven and then waking up at eight. So because my body's not used to it because it's had a week of normal sleep. So you kind of, you have to just, I read this fucking article the other day that was just like, you never catch up on sleep. And I'm like, bullshit. I don't have, I don't sleep like for more than like four hours on average yeah. on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But that's just because my head's overdrive and I want the shows to do well. But I can function really well in four hours yeah. and, I, and I enjoy it. But on the Sunday, I will sleep, happily sleep for like 10 or 12 hours. Really? And that is my body catching up. As soon up. as you get back. So if you're trying to tell me you can't catch up on sleep, that is me definitely catching up on my sleep that I've not had over the weekend. But I don't think, I don't see it as a bad thing. Like, I've just had to move my schedule. I've just had to, you have to accommodate for it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to go out raving on a Friday night yeah. anymore because that's not fair for anyone who's listening to my show on a Saturday. And there are thousands of people who would kill for that job. Yeah. So why, you know, but that's also to say, it's not, that it's also, on Thursday I've got tickets to Liam Gallagher. 
So I will go to that gig and I'll make myself, I always leave on time. So I'll give myself a curfew of like 9.30, 10 and I'll go home and I'll sleep for, and I'll have a really deep sleep because I've gone out and yeah. because I've gone to that gig. And, and then it gives tired. me something to talk about in the video the next yeah. day. Um, I used to feel really guilty about only getting three or four hours sleep before the show. Like it was a really bad thing that was really unprofessional. Yeah. But it's not like I really I function really well in that, and then I'll catch up. And I generally do always have like an hour or so after the show. Like I'll go and do a, a gym class, and then I'll go home and I'll have a disco naps as well. Are like a godsend, and I can never nap before, but now I nap. I guess you have the week as well to do socialising and. Yeah, well, I mean, I tried that. I went out on Tuesday night once. I was like, Tuesdays are my new Saturdays, and then forgot that everyone was like Wednesdays are working yeah. week. So like a thousand people are emailing on Wednesday. And I was like, oh, this is awful. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you just. I don't know. It's, 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 I, I don't, I don't see it as bad. You, you just accommodate for things. Yeah. It's just, I, there are nights where like, you don't sleep. And I will happily say that I've taken melatonin before because like, you know, obviously that's the thing that triggers the darkness and the, chem, the chemical yeah. in your brain. And like, they don't sell it here. I think got it when I was in America. It was actually Freya Ridings who told me about it. Um, God, drop that name, why don't I? Because <laughs> um, obviously she travels so much with yeah. her singing. She was always like, how do you combat jet lag? And she's like, melatonin, because it's a natural thing to your body. Mm-hmm. It's the chemical that's released when it gets dark. So it basically says to your brain to just go to sleep. It doesn't make you sleep for hours yeah. on end. It's not like a kind of like night nurse where you're so groggy or whatever. It helps your body clock. So if there's a night where I'm really struggling, I would never, t- I don't often take it before the show because I would be worried that I wouldn't wake up. But I yeah. have taken like a melatonin just to help me get to sleep. Yeah. And then have a nice deep sleep and then that's fine. But like, there's various things you can do. Oh, there's so many lovely like chilled like playlists. Yeah, do you There's find a whole sleep category on Spotify, which is just... Does that actually send you to sleep? Oh, yeah. Well, my, what sends me to sleep is I'm... Um, such a geek. Uh, is it going to be White Phil Noise Taggart. or something? No, Phil Taggart does a chiller show. And so I always fall asleep to him. Or like albums. So like the, the Lana Del Rey album this year has been like... Oh, yeah. Awesome for me because it's like beautiful. And so I set a timer on my phone and it automatically switch off. So I, I've been like falling asleep to that or like Biceps album. Whatnot. There's like... Music helps me sleep. Like I'm always like fascinated chilled. by people who... Um, do you fall asleep quickly? Mm, depends. Because when you're having an hour disco nap, if you take half of it trying to fall asleep, then... Yeah, I mean... Not to freak you out. So what? So here was my situation yesterday. So I'm on day five of day, the 10 days of doing early breakfast. So that's getting up at quarter past two for 10 days in a row. Um, Sunday, I went for like a Sunday roast after the show and everything with friends. Oh no, I went to a comedy gig, that was it. And then it finished at nine and I had a glass of wine and went to sleep. I got three hours. Then I got two hours after the show when I got back home. Then I went to the gym, then I came back and had two hours in the afternoon before then, oh no, I didn't because I went and had a lunch. So I went to lunch and then I um, came back and had a two hour disconnect before going back on the video last night because I was doing uh, Ricky, Charlie and Melvin and then I got back and had another three hours and then I got up and did the show this morning. And after the show this morning, I had an hour and then I went to the gym and then had another hour. I had another hour before we came here. Oh wow, just getting it in here, there and everywhere. Well, I just think you have to. I mean, I can I can go through a whole day knowing if I need a disco nap or not. So I was just yeah. like having to accommodate my schedule. Like this week's really, last week killed me a bit because I had three DJ gigs in a row. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then I went straight into my stint of shows. So on Sunday I was like knackered. Yeah. But I had to disassemble this bloody piece of furniture. Which, um, I think I saw that on your story Oh today. my God. Oh my God. It's literally been the bane of my life. But I managed to get a drill today that worked. And it's like, because why have I never had, why is anyone, does anyone own a drill? No. No? Go and buy a drill. It will <laughs> honestly save your life. I was having to disassemble this chest of drawers which is the second chest of drawers I've bought in two months because I don't measure things properly apparently and the I'm company was you. like yeah well you can re- we can return it and we refund you we make it really easy for you you just have to disassemble the whole thing what and you need a drill which you don't have yeah which I don't have so I'm um, I was whatsapping my chill chill like so I did a, a show called chiller anthems and I was whatsapping that music team going so do I put the needle in here and da, 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 da. and they were sending me videos back I know apparently it's gone like viral around the office because they were like the video of you trying to figure out how to work a drill is possibly one of the funniest things I've seen today I love and I was that. like oh great thanks Travis thanks for sharing that with the office um but it'll make for great content on the radio yeah. tomorrow Okay, so, and then my last point to you before yeah. we round up the podcast, what can you give advice-wise to someone who is wanting to be a radio DJ? There is no right path. There's no right path. I start, I did my first pilot for Radio 1 in 2011. It's 2019 now, in case people okay. don't know that. Why did I have to point that out? <laughs> Why did I have to point that out? Um, 
my first pilot was in 2011. I got sent that pilot because I put a post out when I got the job going like, I had no video techers whatsoever. And I was like, I would dread to hear that pilot and Big, Bod, Big Boss Salad was like, here you go. <laughs> and I listened to it, I was like, ah, it's awful. I just like talk about music for two hours. Um, but then I went away and learned my technique and then I went, I begged them to let me back in. They let me back in in like 2014 and then it wasn't my time and they let me back in in 2016. And I was in every weekend training for free and then they gave the job to someone else and it floored me and um and I thought that's it I'm not gonna try anymore I just you know you can't put all your eggs in one basket and then I did radio works and I did virgin and I was doing ministries and I was like but now I know I'm really good at radio and I'm like why can't I pursue that dream again and got in touch with them again and things happen and there was a lot of factors that were in place like they'd given a lot of people jobs that had been covering on there that suddenly they, they didn't have a subs bench anymore and they didn't have a Scottish voice and it's a national station you should yeah. be representing that nation and um, everyone kept saying to me, oh, you'll get a job at Radio 1 because they've not had a different one on there for eight years. I'm like, that's I don't want to get a job just because they have yeah. to tick that box. Um, I'm going to get it because you're good. But I am, you know, it, it was a long time, eight years. And I think if anything I've learned from it, it's like I never gave up and resilience is a really, really good thing to have. And, you know, not a lot of people can't bounce back from, I think from being a dancer, yeah. I knew how to bounce back from rejection because you yep. audition a thousand for a thousand jobs and you get one. Um Whereas other people are not so used to that when they're coming from a radio production course at university. Yeah. They don't tell you that someone's going to be like, that. nah, you're not good enough. Because yeah. essentially it's you that's not good enough. You are the voice that's on the radio. You're the one that's... So, but I think anyone who wants to get into radio and know what you want to talk about, know where your expertise are. Like, is it, you know, do you love drill music? Let's talk about drills again. Um, <laughs> do you love drill music? Great. Like, go and talk about drill music. Go and find yeah. a community station. I didn't do a radio production course. I didn't know how to do that. I found community stations. So I did so Shortest Radio, and then I did Hoxton Radio, and, I didn't, and that led to me getting Ministry of Sound. And then when Ministry of Sound closed, I went back to Hoxton Radio because I need, I had that online audience who yeah. were listening to that show and listening to the music that I was cu- curating. So um, there are no right paths, and resilience is an amazing skill to have. And the wonderful world of internet means that you can honestly set up your own radio station and it'd be just as successful as Spotify and Apple. Cool. Well, I think, I think that's going to come to the end of our podcast. Was that okay? I no, feel like you were amazing. Exhausted. I love it. Like, just, I, I think thought, I learned more in that again, podcast. Again, who wants to listen to something like that for an hour? No, I love no it. One. Also, people, these are things people don't know, so... Okay. Most of that I didn't know. Also, like, what you were talking about the desk, if you mix live on air, it's a whole completely different setup. Because okay. you have to have the decks in front of you. Okay. And it's a different system. Okay. So there's another fact. So there's you, another fact. Um, well, thank you so much for being on you. my podcast. And thank you guys oh, for coming to Thanks for sitting watch. in and listening to that. Um, um, and yeah, thank you for listening to this series. And I hope um, series two has everything in store that this one did. Bye, everyone. Thank you. That was awesome. This outro has actually taken me a very long time to do. I think this is my sixth time. Anyway, let's try again. So I've created an email called what they don't tell you pod at gmail.com. I know it's long, but everything else is taken and I would love, love, love to hear any feedback or just anything regarding what we've spoken about in the podcast. I'd love to know what you think. Um, and if you'd like to like, subscribe, I don't know what else, comment down below. God, that sounds YouTube-y. I'm one of those now. But please, please, please email us. I would love to hear your feedback. Um, And yeah, have a lovely day.